Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 220. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Every second of every day, your restaurant is talking to you. Between the chatter online, interacting with your POS system, or making transactions with your credit card processor, these are all opportunities to collect data, crucial data that can help you make the right decisions in your restaurant. To learn more, schedule a demo by going to resources.upserve.com slash unstoppable. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Chef James Clary. Chef, tell me you're feeling unstoppable today. Oh, Eric, my friend, I so appreciate you having me on, and I am fired up today. I definitely feel unstoppable, bro. Yes, that is what I love to hear. So let me just give the guests or the listeners a huge aerial view of who you are, what you're all about, and we'll pass it over to you to get the motivational ball rolling. So hailing from Springfield, Missouri, James has worked in restaurants for over 35 years and has trained numerous servers, bartenders, and dining room managers. His first hospitality lessons were learned from his parents simply by just observing them during household parties. At the age of 16, uh, his dream for one day owning his own restaurant began to take shape. At the age of 21, he was hired as a general manager by one of his mentors, and by the age of 26, he achieved his dream and opened his first restaurant. Always known for his charity work, his restaurant, Clary's, was named the Small Business of the Year by the National Philanthropic Association. James is also the author of Server's Sales Training, Restaurant Secrets to Success. And James, this is obviously just scratching the service, a huge aerial view of who you are, what you're all about. I can't wait to dive in deeper. But before we do that, let's just get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. Take it away. Oh, you know, man, I got a million of them, <laughs> but uh, I, this is one of my favorites is you're only as good as the next meal you serve. Mm, I love and, it. and I like that because, you know, I think a lot of people tend to rest on their laurels or they think they think they've arrived. And I've always felt if you think you've arrived, you've got nowhere to go but down. You know, if you think you're number one, I always said to my staff, look, guys, it's great that we won Best Restaurant in the local magazine, whatever, but I want to be number two, striving to be to number one, because if we ever feel like we're number one, where are we going to go? We have nowhere to go up. Absolutely. And that reminds me so much of one of the lessons I've learned here on the show is that, you know, don't compete with the people in your community. Compete with yourself. Compete with the version of yourself you were the day before. And I love that that mantra and that idea of, you know, bringing that that mentality to your team and making it about your team and not just you and showing up every day to be a better version of yourself than you were the day before. You know, like you say, you're only as good as that meal or the ne- that next meal you next serve. Meal. Yep. Awesome yep. stuff. I love the way this interview is going already. <laughs> cool. So cool. Uh, let's you know find out a little bit more about you. I gave the listeners just a huge aerial view of who you are and what you're all yeah. about. But I mean, take it back to those those uh, parties your parents you know held, and from there, sure. like, what was it about the experience that you think made you go in the direction of hospitality? 
That's a great question. I, I will say, you know, as, a, as I, I told you off air that uh, my parents, my dad was a doctor. So, you know, I will admit we were a family of some means. I mean, we weren't super wealthy, but we lived in a very nice home. And, mm-hmm. you know, my dad provided for us. But I wasn't one of those people either that, you know, my dad never gave me money. I always had to earn it. And we were working in the yard, raking the leaves every weekend. So, and my dad, as a doctor, people don't realize those guys work their tails oh, off. Yeah. He was on call 20 when he was on call, which was about four days a week. The phone would ring all night sometimes. I mean, he was a psychiatrist. And, just the work you have to do to earn the title, doctor. Oh, my amazing. gosh. Yeah. I mean, you're in school for like 20 years. So, so anyway, I mean, that's after like, you know, high school. But mm-hmm. um, these parties, I just saw people having fun. And there was one gentleman that really had an impact on me. I actually just posted something on, on LinkedIn about it, a little short essay called Lessons from Sonny. Send that to me and I'll link to it. Yeah, yeah, I will, definitely. And it's Sonny Harden was an African-American gentleman in a town that is about 99% white. And he was the bartender that uh, everybody in the social scene hired. So he was at my house. You know, whenever they had a party, Sonny was the guy. I don't know why, but I always gravitated to the to the caterers, the people in my parents' kitchen cooking and to the bar. And Sonny kind of took me under his wing. And he taught me more than anything to always be polite, courteous, kind, and fun-loving. He always had a joke. He always made people smile. And I thought, man, I want to do that. I want to be able to make people smile. And I don't know if it was him or my upbringing. I'm a people pleaser. There is no doubt about it. And sometimes that works to my detriment. You know, and I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit more, but, you know, my satisfaction in this business comes from somebody saying, dude, that was the best meal I've ever had, or that was the best service I ever had, or that was the best souffle I've ever had, or, you know, you just made my wife and I's night, our anniversary, and just, that's what I want. It's not about the money for me. Mm. And if it's about the money for your listeners, if they're getting into the restaurant business because they want to make money, you know, I, I don't think they're as likely to be successful. Just as I always train my servers, look. Tips are the natural result of good service. So if you put good service in the forefront of your mind, you'll make the money. But, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm all over the map now already. I realize that. So anyway, growing up in Springfield, uh, doing that, my first job, most, most people in the Ozarks, when they get their first job, it's baling hay. Now, I don't know if people still do that anymore, but, <laughs> you know, all my buddies were like, I'm going to go bale hay, and you got like a dollar a, a bale, and... I went to my counselor the summer after my freshman year. This would have been 1974. I was 14, okay. and, I, and I said, I need a job. I want to work. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to make my own money, and he goes, well, hey, I just got a call from this restaurant. They need a dishwasher, and I went over there, and the kitchen manager was actually someone I knew. He hired me, and two weeks later, I was moved up to a cook. So before I was even 15, I was cooking in a restaurant, and dude, that, I never looked back. Wow. I mean, there's so many lessons we take away from that story. Even just that one lesson of call your guidance counselor or the local guidance counselor if you're in whatever community you're in and let them know you're looking for good kids uh, because you can find the great people. But, um, you know, just so much to learn from uh, the reasons to get into this this industry. And I'm sure we're going to dive into that when I ask you about your why and what drives you. And we can dive mm-hmm. a little bit more into that. But um, I love how intentional you were with your life uh, because you made the decision. You, I think it was at 16 that you want to make a career out of this. So you really started, yeah. with, you know, making those intentional moves. And then at the age of 21, you went to go work for somebody for the sole purpose of learning the industry. Tell us a little bit about that decision and this this man, this other mentor in your life that helped steer yeah. your career. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you're right when you use the word intention. And I think 
You know, I think there's some woo-woo stuff out there. <laughs> I'm about all about the woo-woo, man. Lay it on but me. <laughs> you, but you know what? I, there's something to it. There has to be because you're right. I made a decision when I was about 16. I can remember, as weird as it sounds, having this thought. I know what I want to do with my life. Mm. I want to own my own restaurant. That was the thought in my head. Okay. Now I had no freaking idea how to do that. Right. I mean, I'm 16. I'm working in a restaurant cooking, but anyway, I went to university of Tulsa, uh, which is just a couple hours away from Springfield. So it was close enough, but far enough that, that worked out real well. I got a job, of course, of course, bartending while I was at school, you know, and when I got it, I met my, uh, my wife, uh, while I was in school and we had just gotten married and I got out and I was, I knew that I needed management experience. So I got a job as an assistant manager at a pizza place. And, and although I liked it and I learned a lot, I've learned everywhere I've gone, I've learned something, mm-hmm. man. That's, that's another deal. Don't ever think that you can't learn something, even a job you don't like. But mm-hmm. so I opened up the paper and there was an ad for assistant manager of a place in Tulsa called the Polo Grill. And, and it, I just wanted to get back in fine dining because I'd always cooked in fine dining and the type of restaurant I wanted to own was fine dining. It wasn't a pizza place. So I went and I applied. I got an interview set up with this guy and he asked me one question. I swear it was just one question interview. He said, what do you want to do with your life? And I immediately said, I want to own my own restaurant. Mm -hmm. And he kind of at that point just said, okay, you're hired. Sold. Why why do you think that answer like sold him so fast? Why do you think that was such the, you know, right answer at the time? Well, it's pretty simple. At the time, I didn't understand, but I do now. He knew that I was hungry Mm. and that I would work. Not that he, uh, you know, was real stingy with pay, but I mean, I didn't make a lot of money. He knew that I, I was after the knowledge. I mean, the way I looked at it, I was going to college working for him and getting paid to do it. Mm -hmm. I mean, this guy, he told me, he goes, I will show you how to own your own restaurant. And he broke it down for me. He goes, you know, there's four areas you got to learn. You got to learn the culinary, the kitchen side. You have to learn the dining room, the service side, which is huge. So many chefs overlook that. Mm-hmm. You have to learn the, uh, let's say, the uh, construction ambience side. You have to build the physical space in a certain manner that is attractive and to people. Mm-hmm. And the fourth, and maybe the most often overlooked, is what he and I termed the office. Mm-hmm. And that's the numbers. The Burke work. And once again, a lot of people that want to own their own restaurant forget that this is a business and you have to manage by the numbers. And he had a great saying that if you watch your pennies, your dollars will take care of themselves. Mm. He was very fastidious and taught me to be so. Uh, I mean, I don't waste anything. If I'm if I'm making soup, dude, everything's going into the soup. You know, I mean, it's just I can't. It's in my nature. Yeah. I don't waste things. And and our business, man, is the profit margin is really small. And if you're a wasteful person, you're not going to make it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he hired me. I, I managed, uh, started out managing the Polo Grill. He had uh, another restaurant called La Cuisine, which was a French bistro with all white pine and blue willow. Gorgeous place. He eventually moved me there. Then he made me a corporate officer so I could sign checks for so both restaurants. You were and, with him for five years. When did you know that you had you know, gotten the experience that you would need to open your own place? 
Oh, you know, it was more one of those deals that life just kind of the river of life kind of carried me on. I Mm -hmm. think it was a something happened with and I don't remember the specifics. Something happened with my wife's job and she was real unhappy there. And there was an opportunity. We were both working at the time. Most young couples have to. She had an opportunity to move to Springfield, which was my hometown. And I knew here's the other thing. At that time, this was an 88. I knew I had gone back to Springfield a couple times. I had eaten at the two best restaurants, according to the community. Mm-hmm. I had eaten at both of those. And after both of those meals, I thought to myself, man, I can blow these guys out. <laughs> I mean, what Robert, the owner of the Polo Grill, had taught me was so superior to what my competition, future competition, was doing. I was completely confident. That we would be successful so if we opened a restaurant in Springfield. Chef James, let me ask for that person that's listening right now, if they're thinking to themselves, mm-hmm. when do I make the break? When do I know that I can go out on my own? What one piece of advice do you have for them to, um, you know, maybe decide, help them in that decision making process to go out on their own? Well, you know, that's that's a great question. I've never given it any thought, except if we can can look at what I did. So. Let's say uh, a young person it feels like they're ready to open their own restaurant and they know what town they're going to open in. I suggest that they go to the competition that would their future competition in that town and ask themselves, can I do an operation at least as well, if not better than? And I would say you need to do better than mm-hmm. because if you're going to succeed and you open a rest, you open a restaurant just the same you know, just a, another uh, copy of what's already in town. What? Why would you think you need to be successful? And we see that all the time. So, what are you looking for? Like, what? Like, unique selling propositions, distinguishing things we can do to separate ourselves. Like, tell us the specific things we're looking for. Yeah. Well, the number one thing I always look at is service. I mean, look, excellent superior food cannot overcome inferior service. Mm-hmm. Excellent superlative service can overcome mediocre food. I mean, if if you're served a steak, let's say, that's cooked incorrectly, you order it medium rare and it comes out medium well. If your server is right on that deal, immediately takes it back, you know, buy, hey, we're going to buy you a glass of wine while you're waiting. So sorry about that. It's just going to be two minutes. I got it. And he's all over and he's folding your napkin and just, <laughs> just showering you with service and affection. You know, you're going to be pretty forgiving. But if your steak is perfect, yet your server is insolent, rude, not available, uh, unhappy, et cetera, et cetera, you're going to leave with a, a, a literal pun intended bad taste in your mouth. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So ser- service number one, then then food and price point. I think price point value is very important. I mean, people have to feel if you, if they're paying thirty five bucks for a steak, you know, they need to feel like that was worth every penny. I'd have paid fifty for it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, awesome advice. So let's kind of fast forward. You open your own place. Like, uh, what mm-hmm. point did you start doing uh, consulting? Like, when did you? How have you grown since that point? Like, how many other well, restaurants have you been involved in? Yeah. Uh, Lord. Um, you know, I think primarily because I opened Clary's in 89, uh, with my brother, Tom, uh, like I said, I moved back to Springfield in 88, October of 88. Uh, I didn't have a job, didn't know what to do. So I went and borrowed the, um, uh, country club directories of the three country clubs in Springfield because I knew I was looking for an upscale clientele, right? 
I got all those addresses and I sent out a little flyer that I created on my PC that just said, uh, we're doing catering. And that December of 88, I mean, that was probably the hardest I've ever worked in my life. I was doing it on a four burner GE stove in a rental home. I bought an old uh, sliding door reach-in that I put in my garage so we'd have more refrigerator space. And we did about fifteen grand in business that December, me and my brother and one other friend. We'd get up at 7 in the morning, work till 3 in the morning every day for about two weeks solid. Wow. And then this, the place that I had thought that I wanted to put my restaurant, it was an existing restaurant. They went out of business okay. in the end of December, and it was like, wow, this is it. So I opened Clary's, and through that, you know, we were fortunate. We were kind of an instant success. People started approaching me. As a matter of fact, the people that own, um, I don't know, you've probably heard of Branson, Missouri. Um, the people that are kind of the first family of Branson, they own Silver Dollar City. They own Whitewater. They own the Grand Palace. They approached me about doing a restaurant with them. Okay. So when you when you have success and your name is kind of out there, people kind of seek you out. Absolutely. Uh, and then in, speaking of Branson, uh, a gentleman you may have heard of named Andy Williams uh, used to eat at my restaurant. All right. You're young. You probably don't. No, Andy, Williams, <laughs> well, in his day, my friend, he was the Michael Jackson. Oh, all right. Or whoever it would be today, the Beyonce or whatever. I mean, he had a hundred gold records. He was best friends with John F. Kennedy. As a matter of fact, when Kennedy was assassinated, the first person the family called to come to the White House to console Jacqueline was Andy Williams. Oh, wow. I mean, he, this guy was connected. He wrote the score, a lot of it for The Godfather, wrote and performed it. I mean, I, I got to know this because Andy asked me to do a rest. That was my first big consulting job when uh, he had a theater in Branson, and on his property was a restaurant. Okay. And another group was leasing it. Well, they hadn't paid rent in 10 months. They weren't doing well. So he called me up and said, would you come down to Branson and meet me, And which was pretty awesome. I mean – he had an art collection. There's like Picasso's hanging in his office. It I mean, tell me what that feeling was like yeah. to know that you, this person who's such an idol at what they do, like everyone just, yeah. just looks up to this person. They're coming to you for I know. advice. Like, what was that feeling like? Man, it was really cool. I mean, it just, you know, I, I tried not to let my, my head swell, and I don't <laughs> think I did. I just, I always just felt like, I don't know, it just, it made me happy that he thought enough of what I did that I was the first person he called. And here's another example. When he had, he had back surgery, and Branson's hospitals are small, so he had it in Springfield, his publicist called me and said, look, Andy's in the hospital for a week. He hates hospital food. Would you bring meals to him? So I said, of course. So every night I took him dinner. One of my servers went over, set it up, da-da-da-da. Somehow the newspaper found out about it, called me, and I said, well, I can't comment on that. You know, it's, it's a guest. I mean, use discretion in our business. So... They called these publicists. The publicists, yeah, we don't care if you report it. I swear, Eric, 10 years later, I'd have people walk into Clary's and go, is this the place that served Andy Williams' his food? And <laughs> but, crazy. you know, anyway, it was cool. So what I said to Andy, I go, Andy, I don't want to do a restaurant because I, at the time I had just opened another one. And I said, look, you're the one with the name. Why don't you do it? And he goes, well, I don't know the restaurant business. I said, I know, but I can help you. So mm-hmm. we, that was my first consulting gig and i mean i did everything he like like he said he didn't know the restaurant business Mm -hmm. i hired a team of designers and 
we put together a concept. Now, he had a lot to say about, you know, what he wanted to serve. But uh, the restaurant was open for several years until he passed, I think, four years ago. And his wife, Debbie, just didn't want to deal with running. So she kind of uh, leased the theater to someone else and closed the restaurant. Mm-hmm. Now, you also have done a ton of just uh, appearances on TV. I mean, what kind of yeah. significance do you think that's had in your, su- your success? And like, what advice do you have for people on trying to get that type of PR? Yeah. It, well, here's one thing that, that most people don't realize. Production teams, particularly in local television, like, you know, almost every city of any size has got a locally produced news program, whether it's their five o'clock news, but some of them have a, you know, an afternoon show that's an hour. Those producers are looking for content. Mm -hmm. And, And that's what most people don't realize. They want chefs to come on. And I mean, I've gotten so many gigs just by sending a press release or an email to the producer and say, look, I'm available to do your show. I actually got started with a gal named Becky Dixon in Tulsa. The Polo Grill was a restaurant of some note. I was managing it, and she asked me. She used to eat there, and she goes, hey, would you come on the morning show sometime? And so I did it. I will tell you, the first time as an adult that I got on TV, I definitely had the deer in the headlights. <laughs> uh, I saw that red light, and I went, oh. Oh my god! But it's also like that first service you have when you open your doors. Like everything yeah. is a you know part of my language a shit show when you first start. But exactly, it's just the, the, I think the secret is to start. And this this show isn't about um, finding out how to become a celebrity chef and doing all those things. But there's something to be said about getting out there and connecting with your public and uh, communicating with your public and just getting that exposure. It can be extremely uh, just valuable marketing oh. for your restaurant. Here It's huge. And I, I will tell you, I, once again, my hat's off to Robert. Robert told me something a long time ago. This was my mentor in mm-hmm. Tulsa. He said, if you ever, and this was back in the day of just telephone calls, you know, mm-hmm. there wasn't an internet. He said, if you ever get a message from any local media, be it the newspaper or state, you immediately call them back. You move that to the top. And mm-hmm. because of that, I followed his advice. Whenever the newspaper called, I immediately called them back and gave them the quote they wanted. Well, guess what? I moved up to the top of the guys they called because they knew I would call them back. Mm. I mean, so many chefs, oh, there's a message from the newspaper they want or an email, you know, they want you to get back and you put it off. Well, guess what? You you get one chance. Mm-hmm. So I was always in the newspaper and people go like, how did you get in the newspaper again? I'm like, because <laughs> I called them back. I mean, it's, it's pretty simple, wow. but it, it worked to my advantage. And then, you know, one thing led to another. I had a buddy who, had some contact, and I was able to get on a travel channel show called uh, The Grill of Victory. wasn't a huge show. It wasn't prime time. I think they showed. They said it was going to be prime time. I don't know if 1 p.m. on Saturday is prime time. I don't think it is. But uh, And then through another hobby of mine, I love to study ancient uh, culture and history. I was a history major in college. I got on another show on the History Channel. Oh, wow which was kind of weird, but <laughs> it was fun. Jim, I feel like we've really gotten to know you now. I feel like we can see why you've been as successful as you have. And if I could just summarize it in just like a couple words, you will attract opportunity if you hustle and you say yes mm-hmm. and you show up every day and you take those chances and you live intentionally. Like, that's what I hear from you. Everything you did was with intention and you just hustle and you jump on opportunity and success will come if you do these things and you show up every day and just work your butt off. And I just kind of get that sense from you that you're one of these people that just don't take a day off. 
Well, <laughs> that is true. I, I, I tend to work all the time. A lot of my work's from home on a PC. But, I mean, the last few months I've been traveling more than a virus. Mm-hmm. I've had a client in Tulsa and a client in St. Louis and a client in Rogers, Arkansas. As you mentioned, I do restaurant consulting now. I sold, I sold Clary's in 06 and got completely out of the business in 08. I uh, actually worked in the corporate world for a while as the director of culinary for a large grocery chain, which, you know, I loved it. I learned a ton, but I just, I'm one of those guys, I'm an entrepreneur. I have to work for myself. I'm in the middle of rebranding my consulting business. It was Clary's Consulting, and uh, I'm rebranding it as The Restaurant Guru. You can uh, reach me at therestaurantguru.net. The website's about half built, but I'm getting emails there, and we'll talk more about that later. Yeah. Yeah, man, you got to hustle. You have to hustle and you have to put yourself out there and you have to be fearless and you have to believe. Mm. You have to believe you're going to be successful. How do you believe? How do you know? Like, what do you say to yourself to make you show up every day and to, to have that kind of ethic, that work ethic? Well, some of it is is product knowledge. I mean, you have to know your business. You have to be smart enough, you know, it, I know uh, one of the things we talked about are favorite books. I mean, I read my favorite books, the book I'm reading. I read all the time. You have to constantly strive to improve. You have to constantly strive to get better. Mm -hmm. I have a list of like 30 key service attitudes. And the number one key service attitude is learn to receive instruction. Mm. Because that applies to me, too. Yeah, absolutely. So all these things, um, you know, why do you show up every day? What makes you do it? Like, what is your why? If you could just summarize it in a few brief sentences. Sure. Well, I think it's what I said earlier. It's that it's that kick, that high, that that drug, if you will, of somebody telling me that I did a good job. Mm hmm. I mean, my wife, I used to make meals for my family. Obviously, I'm a chef. Da, 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 da. And my, I would set it down in front of my kids. And eventually, my wife would say, look, just tell him you like it so we can go on with our life. Because <laughs> I'm standing there, you know, with my head cocked going, do you like it? Do you like it? Come on. I need that. I need that. So, uh, I mean, for me, it's just that feedback, you know. Of, yeah, I'm, I'm the same exact yeah. way. And it makes me laugh yeah. because if I'm working for somebody, like, I can't, like, go home uh, like at the end of the week if I don't know how I'm doing I'm like I'll talk to them I'm like how like especially if I'm new someplace like am I yeah. doing okay am I am I meeting your standards what can I be doing better like those things are like so important in this industry just to know that you're meeting the you know somebody's standard whether it's your guest or your your staff if you're meeting your staff standards I think that just knowing that you're making people happy is such a oh, crucial yeah. uh, characteristic that's necessary in this industry and I just want to quickly read um, a quote I got from you um, from your bio and I think it just totally just rings will like sing to people listening in right now and it's a, i sincerely believe that hospitality courses through my veins it is my very soul i don't want to seem overly dramatic but this is how i feel i've never done this for the money i do it for the simple pleasure that i get when someone tells me how much they enjoyed whatever it was that i provided them and i think that is something that can just you know we, we just need to take home with us um don't yeah. do it for the money do it for you know just I mean, there's so many reasons to do it, but one of the biggest ones is just if you have that un or insatiable desire just to, to please people. To please others, yeah. And, you know, on the flip side, Eric, let me tell you, when someone's unhappy, ugh, it's like a dagger in the heart. Oh, man. I mean, I mean, dealing, and let me tell you, for you future restaurant owners, you have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. You don't let your waiter deal with it. You don't let your manager. If you're the owner and you're on premises – 
and somebody's really unhappy with an experience in your restaurant, you better go take care of it. But it is the next to firing someone. I'd, I'd put them together. Firing people and dealing with an upset customer are the two most difficult things that I've ever had to do. Absolutely. So we've talked about so many of the things that you you know believe contribute to your success, but let's really put them under a microscope now and really just point them out. So what are your it factors? What are these habits, these characteristics, these traits that you think most contribute to your success? Well, I think I think you have to be tenacious. You know, you you cannot you cannot stop. You always have to move forward, no matter if you get knocked upside of the head, and you're going to. There's always going to be setbacks. You know, I'm reading a book called uh, From uh, Terrible Terrific by Dennis Cummins right now about his daughter who's just ugh, the health problems she's had. I can't, it's just horrendous, but how he's been able to turn that into a positive thing. So, you know, life throws stuff at everybody, dude. We've all had issues. And I'm sure we're going we're gonna to get into some of the issues I've had later, <laughs> yeah. but uh, you can't stop. Mm -hmm. You have to be dedicated. And I think most of all, you just have to be passionate. Mm. You have to love what you do. So many people go punch the clock at a nine-to-five job, and they hate it. You know, I, I listen to, uh, I don't know if you've ever listened to Every Day is Saturday uh, podcast by a guy named uh, Scott Crowley. I have not, but I'll have to check Oh, out. my gosh. I love the dude. And it's, it's a podcast about nothing, but it's really <laughs> about being an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. He's like, if you hate your job, you can quit. Go do something else. And Scott is now one of the most sought-after public speakers. But, man, he was just a guy in the corporate world, a regular guy. But, but I believe you got to be passionate. If you can work in the field that you love and you're passionate about. And everybody's heard this. It's no longer work. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm just sitting here like typing like crazy listening to you talk. And some of the if factors I've honed in on so far is that tenacity, always learning, always sharpening the sword. One of those seven yeah. habits of highly effective people. Yeah. Um, insatiable desire to please, dedication, and just passionate. Is there anything else you want to add to that list? <sighs> you know, I think probably it's under tenacious, but you also have to show up, mm. you know, Endurance. I mean, you, you, you literally have to be there. I, and a lot of, I've seen people that have opened restaurants, you know, maybe they've got some family money or whatever. And they think, well, I'll hire a manager and I'll hire a chef. And, and I, to me, when I hear those words, I'm thinking disaster. Yeah, disaster. You have to want to be there. That's the thing. And right. it's, you know, it's, yeah. it's one, this, this, we're kind of talking about it right now, but one of the biggest reasons why I only focus on independent restaurant owners is because of that passion. I think it's really, truly only there with people who want to be in their restaurant every day. Yeah. Um, maybe it, I'm wrong. Correct me if no, I No, I don't think, I don't think you're wrong at all. And, and I know, you know, I used to always say nobody will watch my business like me or the owner. You know, it's no matter how dedicated, loyal, honest your manager is, they will never watch. And this applies to any business. It doesn't have to be a restaurant. Nobody watches the business like the owner. And, and when the owner kind of checks out either emotionally or physically not showing up, that's when there's generally problems. Mm. Absolutely. So while we're on the topic of problems, you already kind of mentioned it earlier that you've had your challenges, that it hasn't yeah. always been, you know, beautiful and it hasn't always been success like what were some of your failures when did you fail when did you fall hard on your ass james and tell us how you got yeah. back up and what you learned well i'll tell you the, the the biggest failure i had and it was it was pretty major you know i had to declare uh, bankruptcy in that's uh, pretty major yeah and you know i don't even like saying it i mean it's 
it's hard to even uh, to quit, I mean to even spit it out, but you know what? I own it now. I, I do. And it, let me, I'll tell you quickly what happened. I had two restaurants. I had yep. Clary's, my original place. I had a second place called the Gallery Bistro, which was in downtown Springfield, which is just was making a resurgence. We were actually the second fine dining restaurant. Eventually, there was 12 or 15 down there. but mm-hmm. uh, And it was doing fine. I, But all my friends, I saw them making more money. And, you know, it was more for me. I wanted to prepare for the future. I had two young boys I had to put through college. And although I was making a comfortable living and had a nice lifestyle, I really wasn't able to save a lot. Well, and I know a lot of restaurateurs have have done this, say, well, I'll open a third. Well, I opened a third restaurant that was a seafood place called Fish. And the reason I did that, I could have opened anything I wanted. At that point, any bank in town would have given me any amount of money, which is really not always a good thing. But I uh, read Lobster in Springfield was doing about 5 million a year at the time, just oh, crazy wow. numbers. And I go eat there. I just to, you know, see what it was all about. And it, and it wasn't good in my opinion. So once again, I thought, okay, I can do a superior product at the same price point in an ambiance that's blows this place away. So I was going after a completely different market than I had been serving for all these years with gallery bistro and Clary's. I was going after, uh, you know, just a, a different income level. Mm-hmm. Well, I opened Fish, and all of my regular Clary's customers came to try it, and almost to a man, they were dissatisfied because the Clary name in Springfield had grown to mean fine dining. So they were walking in the door expecting diver scallops with truffle emulsion, and they got a fish taco. <laughs> so... so- their expectations were up here, and not only did I not uh, ex- exceed their expectations, I didn't even meet them. And it was because I had a different concept in my head, mm-hmm. and I knew it was the kiss of death. I knew I was in trouble within two weeks. Even though the food was great, service was great, great price point, great ambiance, I knew I was in trouble. So I've got a, a bunch of things I'm just typing away trying to keep up with what yeah. the specific failures might have been. And correct me if I'm wrong, but chasing money, maybe where you, you said you weren't chasing yeah. it for the right reasons. You you said you, you, you saw people I mean, making too much money. Um, I don't know if that was really true because I wasn't trying to like get a new car or nicer house. Well, I just did, didn't have enough left over at the end of the day to have any savings. Yeah, I was doing it for my future. But really, if I had thought about it, I ended up selling Clary's for a very large amount of money. If I had thought about the time, it's like, well, you know, just focus on Clary's and Gallery Bistro, and that is your savings. Mm -hmm. People don't realize that a business that's throwing off cash flow has a a value, and I never thought about it. I just look at friends that had, you know, 300 grand in an IRA, and here I had $7,000, you know, and I thought, man, it costs, you know, 25 grand a year to put a kid through a state school. You know, I was thinking about my kids' college, really, more than anything. So do you think you expanded too fast? Do you think you tried to do too much too soon, maybe spread yourself too thin? Or was it just that you didn't do enough research, market research? Yeah, it was the market. Okay. It was totally the market. I made the decision to open a value-added seafood restaurant when I was known for fine dining. Mm. It'd be like Thomas Keller opening a uh, hamburger place, you know, and people are expecting, okay, hamburgers, but it's going to be, you know uh, – 
a hamburger with foie gras and all this stuff, and and they go in there and it's just American cheese, you know. That so would you would say be- your your restaurant didn't meet your personal brand? Absolutely. So that's exactly right. So I mean, what's the lesson to be taken away here? Do what what's right with you, what what resonates with you, and don't make the decisions based off money. Like I mean, that's I. Well, I, I think you need to do what resonates with your your customer's perception mm-hmm. of you okay. because. Look, I'm all about doing. Uh, I mean, I could I could open a a uh, fast food restaurant, and you would get my passion mm-hmm. for service and cleanliness and excellent and product delivery and everything else. But my customers that saw the Clary brand as representing fine dining, they just wouldn't get it. They'd scratch mm-hmm. their head and go, "Now, why why this? I don't." And that's what happened with fish. They were expecting fine dining, and they got something totally different. Now, that's that's not to say that there might not have been operational issues because I was spread thin, and it was difficult for me to visit three restaurants on a consistent basis. Mm. So let me just ask, if there is one lesson you could have taken away from this experience, one thing you could have done differently, what would it have been? I would have done a much, much smaller – well – well, I had a model for opening a restaurant. You mm-hmm. find a downed restaurant. That means a restaurant that's gone out of business. You go in that location and you buy, you know, you buy that location, the fixtures. Because when you do a build out from a, uh, a white box, most people don't realize, you know, let's say it's $30 a square foot to do a retail store. A restaurant's going to be double that, $60 mm-hmm. because of the HVAC the you know the roof penetrations to do the ventilation systems the plumbing the electrical yeah, once you start pulling back the layers it's just one yeah, more expensive it's just so much more expensive yeah. to build a restaurant so if you find a location where a restaurant's already been all that stuff's done mm-hmm. i don't care if it looks like crap on the inside you can fix that yep the infrastructure's there yeah the infrastructure's there so see i did a build out on that third restaurant i spent a fortune on i went against my own advice Mm -hmm. clary's i'll I'll be i'll be i'm happy to share with you i did for fifty thousand dollars i opened that restaurant and that's with inventory training everything only cost me 50 grand Mm -hmm. now what's the biggest restaurant i spent 800 now right. you you failed. We you, you shared us. Thank you for getting real real with us and getting to the details yeah, of that. I really do appreciate it. Um, now what's that like? How did you bounce back? Like how did huh. you admit failure, uh, file bankruptcy, and and still yeah. recover to be as successful as you are today? Well, it, you know, and success is in the eyes of the holder. Mm-hmm. First of all, but I will say, you know, it it cost me my marriage of uh, twenty seven years. Uh, it. it let me just say it's extremely difficult. I mean, the, the one word that comes to mind is shame because here you are a pillar in the community in the restaurant community. Everybody sees you as this, da, 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 da. And I mean, there was a lot of stuff that happened. Did to, you use that shame to push forward though? Like, did, did absolutely. That, did well, that? and I do today. Mm-hmm. I own it and mm-hmm. I, and I, I feel it and I reach down into my soul and I touch it and, mm-hmm. and, I live with it, and I, not only am I okay with it, um, I relish it and I celebrate it because that is what drives me today. I have it's kind of this unstated thing in the back of my head. Never again, mm. you know. I am never going to make the mistakes that I made in oh four oh three oh four. It's not going to happen again. And you know, 
everybody has failures in life and most people are pretty forgiving. I mean, have I had some people that, um, have kind of taken advantage of that failure? Yeah, I think so. But, but I'm okay with that, man. I mean, I am who I am and I, and I'm the same guy that opened Clary's in 89 mm. that had to, uh, file chapter 11 in 05, I believe it was. Well, Chef James Clare, you're giving us great advice. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Have you ever found yourself just wishing you could have your own personal assistant? I mean, oh, to have your own assistant in the restaurant business, man, that'd be nice. Well, now it's possible with Upserve. Upserve is your assistant that helps you make small, easy changes that dramatically improve your bottom line. It does this by harnessing the power of data. Let's be honest, most restaurants don't use data well, but it's not their fault. There's two big reasons why. First, your data is disconnected, which limits its power. And second, even the data that you've got isn't fast and easy to use by 2016 standards. Well, Upserve can help you with that. To learn more, simply schedule a free demo by going to resources.upserve.com slash restaurants unstoppable. Again, that's resources.upserve.com com slash restaurant unstoppable what are you waiting for get on it all right so we're back and the first question i have for you during this knowledge bomb session is you know what's your advice on getting that initial capital to get started you already gave us that great advice on trying to find restaurants that are the infrastructure is there so you can just move right in but what else could you give us for advice on just getting that initial you know capital to get started well, let's assume you found a place that's down. So you're going to have to spend uh, about a pin, or excuse me, you know, ten percent of what somebody if they were going to do a build out. So now you need to find the money to open your restaurant. And honestly, I think the probably the best resource is still the Small Business Administration, the SBA. And uh, the SBA is a government organization that basically backs up banks when they make loans to small businesses. Mm. Um, So what it means primarily is that the bank doesn't have nearly as much risk because uh, the SBA, if if the business fails, the SBA will basically cover that and the bank isn't hit so hard. Now, on an SBA loan, you generally have to have 20%. So if you estimate that your opening cost or let's say um you know $200,000 you're going to have to ha- come up with 20% of that or $40,000 mm-hmm. which is no small amount but, but it's better than 100%. <laughs> absolutely. And you know, you may have to if you've got friends or relatives or maybe you start small. Maybe you you start in a $40,000 food truck. You know, mm-hmm. now you've only got to come up with 8 grand. Mm-hmm. So, so what's the know, what's the best thing yeah. we can do to get approved for the SBA loan? Would you say? Well, the SBA process, and and that is something I actually help help businesses with. Um, you know, is filling out an SBA form because I've done many of them. It's I, I can still remember like it was yesterday doing my first SBA loan application. It's very it's kind of tedious. You have to do three year income projections. You have to do a break even analysis and all and. I learned so much from doing it. Like, you know, when I say income, that's it's a P&L profit and loss statement in the future. So let's say you estimate your trash service is $50 a month. Mm-hmm. Well, you have to back everything up. So you have to call three different trash services and say, if I was a restaurant on this side of town and I did this much volume, how much would it cost? Mm-hmm. And then you, in the loan application, 
you put bid obtained from ABC trash service, you know, and, and you have to document everything. And that's not a bad thing. It's really, even if you're not getting an SBA loan, I suggest people fill out the SBA loan package because it's a good exercise yeah. in business. So I'm taking... I'm taking the notes and what I have written down now is just do the research and get the facts right. Everything you can do to gather, you know, all that information, the the banks are going to look at you with a much better eye. Um, take you much more seriously if you 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 know dot your eyes and cross your t's. Yep. Um, is there any place we can go to learn more about what things we need to have lined out? You know. Oh my gosh, there's so many resources now. I mean, with the internet. I mean, when I started, there literally was no internet. Mm-hmm. Al Gore hadn't invented it yet, and <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I mean. <clears throat> I had to do everything at the library. There's all kinds of books available, but just the online resources are incredible. You can also go to your local small business administration office. The SBA has offices all over the country and they have very helpful, knowledgeable people. Go to go to your local university. Most of the local universities have business outreach centers where they'll help you. People, you know, if you want to start a, that's the thing, Eric, in America, you can still start a small business. There's other countries where it's next to impossible. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I really encourage people to follow their dream and open a restaurant or open a small business. So, man, do your due diligence mm-hmm. first. Absolutely. Awesome stuff. So we, we know that this industry is so dependent on people and you're only as good as your people. So what advice do you have for hiring your people, managing your people and retaining your people? ha, ha, ha. This is my favorite deal. (laughs) If you were to ask me the single most important thing you've learned from the time you were, say, 10 to now I'm 55. So in 45 years of being, you know, around this business, in the business, the single most important thing is hire for attitude, train for skill. Mm. And the reason it's the most important is that if I have a team of honest, caring, fun-loving people, I can teach them anything. I don't need their knowledge. I mean, I can teach a guy how to saute a piece of fish or teach a person how to open a bottle of wine properly. But if they don't have that attitude, too many businesses attempt to train for attitude. And what I mean by that is a guy's got a bad attitude. He's a whiner. He's a complainer. They try and change him. Most of the time, Eric, those people, they're born that way, dude. Unless they have some kind of craziest spiritual awakening, they're not going to change. I mean, it's easy to say hire for attitude and look for attitude, but how do you, I mean, what questions are you asking? What hints are you looking for to know that that good attitude's there? Because everyone puts that face on when they're doing an interview. They're going to be positive. I mean, but how do you sure. really know? How do you get, I mean, do you just hire and fire fast? Like, what's your advice? Well, you're, you're never going to bat a thousand. You're never going to bat a hundred percent. You're going to hire some people that, that don't fit the mold. But if you ask the right questions and you nailed it, most, most interviews are started. So where have you been working? Tell me what you did there. If you're a hire for attitude, trained for skill person, you don't, you don't give a rip where they worked and what they did. You ask them questions like, tell me about your family life. Mm. What do you do when you're off time? Tell me a joke. Make me laugh. What's your favorite movie? Do you have pets? What do you do in your off time? I mean, you're trying to find out the person, not the worker robot. Mm-hmm. You see, Does that make get sense? Excited if they get or passionate about anything, or you know, like yeah. what, what can you use? Maybe they have a skill or talent to bring to the table that you would have never uncovered if you didn't ask those questions. Exactly, yeah. and I mean, I've even developed a fifty-point what I call an attitude interview. Mm-hmm. You know. 
that uh, I can share with you at yeah, some is, point. Just, is that on your website? Uh, it's not on my website, but I'll email it to you. Yeah, maybe we can find a way to to share that with our listeners. Yeah, yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll post it somewhere that that's uh, that's public. I mean, it, uh, one of my clients is a large family entertainment place called Incredible Pizza. They've got five locations. I mean, they're they're huge, seventy thousand square feet. They there are online resources. They have a uh, an online questionnaire, and it really is trying to do the same thing. It's trying to ferret out attitudes. Mm-hmm. And you get like a, a red, do not hire. <laughs> you get a yellow, which is caution, or a green light. Yeah. And you know what? When I walk into an incredible pizza, the one thing I love about it is the people are always fun-loving, kind, caring. Yeah. And it's because of that interview process. It's, mm-hmm. it's huge, and so many people overlook it. Yeah. I mean, there's there's just so much. I Like I was saying earlier to you, like I only got a chance to go through like 25, maybe 30% of your book, your ebook. Yeah. And uh, you put so much emphasis on communication and positivity and yep. uh, those like those uh, those meetings, those daily meetings are so important, uh, mm. pre-shift meetings. Uh, I mean, do you want to speak to that at all before we move sure. on? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, a pre-shift is every, I call them service meetings. You can call them a lineup, a pre-shift, whatever. But it's 10 minutes before you open for that particular service where you share, and it should always be very positive. You know, it's really, as I used to tell my managers, look, one of your main functions, if not your main function, you're a cheerleader. Mm. You have to bring that positive energy to the staff and transfer it so they approach that table with positive energy. Every one of us has been where a restaurant where a waiter walks up, hello. <laughs> I help you. My name's Clem, you know, and then they sit down next to you, you know, and you're like, oh my gosh, what am I getting <laughs> to? So, yeah, the pre shift's really important for sharing uh, information, but more than anything, it's just to get your staff fired up. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I love yeah. it. So let's talk about some of the challenges you're seeing in the industry now, or maybe a challenge you see coming around the corner, or maybe you work with so many people. What's the most common challenge you hear people bringing to you? Like, what what can you say about challenges or you know things happening right now in the industry? Well, I, you know, I wrote a, a another one. I'll be glad to 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 link to uh, the interview. I wrote a piece called "Everybody Gets a Trophy" mm-hmm. uh, the other day, and it's you know I'll never forget uh, coaching my oldest son he's 25 now but i was coaching him in little league and i asked the ump where's the you know where's the scoreboard and he goes we don't keep score i said no you misunderstood me where's the scoreboard he goes we don't keep score (laughs) i was flat flattened i'm like what and he goes well look we don't keep score because we don't want to hurt any kids feelings everybody should feel good because they participated but here's the problem, Eric. There's a whole generation that's been brought up believing that if you show up, you get rewarded. That that attendance is somehow a uh, a stepping stone towards promotion, and it's not. It's not in real life. You have to bust your ass. You have to not just show up. You have to be the best you can be. I see that as the biggest challenge with this generation and you know obviously not all of them because some of the parents said hey we're keeping score on the side and i'll let you know if you won or lost and that was me you know my <laughs> i'm like my kids are like well dad they don't keep score." i said well guess what i did so uh because you gotta look there's winners and losers in life eric so yeah. we've got a generation of kids brought up it's kind of a sense of entitlement and i don't want to slam a whole generation but that is the biggest challenge and what it's it's an opportunity because when you see these young people, when their eyes open and they realize, wow, if I try really hard and do my best, 
I can do really cool things. That's awesome. Yeah, and everybody loves getting that like genuine recognition. And when they're not used <laughs> to getting when everyone's getting it um, and they grow up and they're in the real life and you're really genuinely giving it to them, they're going to work so much harder for you. They're Absolutely. Gonna, you're tapping Absolutely. into those higher needs. It's so crucial. Uh, and the there, other, just go ahead. So one word, the, the other challenge is just uh, two words, government regulation. Mm. I mean, what can we do to prepare for that though? I mean, it's our hands tied. Like, what do you have to say about that? Well, I mean, that takes us into the dark and shadowy world of politics, my friend. Mm. And I'm not sure we want to, we want to go there on this interview. I don't have I, time. No, we don't. Really, all you can do, you, you do need to hire professionals. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to have a good lawyer and you have to have a good accountant if you open a restaurant. That's all there is to it. You have to. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, I wish you could do it all on your own, but you can't. I mean, wading through the tax code alone, you know, what are they? It's 60,000 pages. Mm-hmm. How are you going to know if you're doing the right thing? I mean, I'll give you just a quick example. I had a fire inspection one time, okay? I had all my, in, for those who don't know, if you open a restaurant from time to time, they're going to come and make sure that your exit lights work, that you have your fire extinguishers, that your Ansel system, which is the fire suppression over your kitchen equipment, works. So he did his whole inspection. And the bottom line, he goes, where are your Braille signs? I said, what? Where are your Braille exit signs? The bottom line is he pulled some archaic, a uh, piece of law that he probably had never enforced because I had everything going on and he just wanted to find something. He told me I had to have exit signs. So imagine a blind person in my restaurant. There's a fire and this guy's feeling the walls to find the exit. I mean, how ridiculous is that? But that's <laughs> I mean, what, what happens. You when you, it's bureaucrats, man. Yeah. It's bureaucrats. No, I hear you, man. So awesome, <laughs> awesome advice. Though. You really do have to protect yourself with those people who yep. are just experts at what they do. Um, yep. So I love how much emphasis you've been putting on educating yourself, growing personally. And you've already mentioned a few books. Where What are like a handful of must-reads that you just want to leave with our listeners right now? Uh, well, you mentioned one, Seven, Seven Habits for Highly Successful People. <clears throat> it's, it's an awesome book. Um, I mentioned the book I'm reading now. Uh, I'm about halfway through from from Terrible Terrific by Dennis Cummins. Uh, gosh, and you know, I knew you were going to ask me this, and I was trying to find this book, and I can't, I can't even mention it. But it's any book along this way. One that really helped me a lot. Um, gosh, I cannot believe. Well, Wealth Without Risk is a great book, but this other book told me to run my business like it was a franchise because you know you go to McDonald's in Hong Kong, you get the same Big Mac as in Sparta, Missouri. Are you talking about the E Myth? Yes, thank yes. you. Oh my gosh, <laughs> the E Myth. Awesome. That book. book had a really powerful impact on me. What was the biggest lesson you learned from that? Well, it's about systems. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to have system let's say your signature drink is a a mojito you know or a raspberry mojito is your signature drink well if one bartender makes it one way and the next guy makes it another way you know your customers are going to be unhappy so it's about having systems Mm -hmm. everything should be written down in an operations manual and everybody should be taught to do things the same way. Yeah. Consistency. Another, uh, another way to say that, like building a restaurant, like a franchise or a chain is building it like you want to sell it, getting all those yeah. systems and processes and things in place. though it's a, 
a system dependent restaurant so you can then not be in it for you know for it to work i mean obviously we all know that you already mentioned earlier to really be successful you got to be in your restaurant but now imagine if you had a system or a restaurant that could work with teenagers in it but now you're throwing professionals like yourself in it and you're and you're picking all these outstanding like rock stars to be in your restaurant think about how much better it's going to operate oh Um, absolutely and and i got to thank you so much for coming up with that title it's been driving me nuts (laughs) just absolutely i I, I, no i love it and i am a huge ambassador of that book again it's the e-myth revisited and it's on audio too so if you don't have time to read it just listen to it just go over to audibletrial.com slash unstoppable you get it for free if you don't already have uh if you're not already signed up for audible i'll give you one Go for it. One more on a personal development, The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. Mm. And he's kind of a new age spiritual dude, but basically what he talks about is that that these voices inside our head are our ego and that sometimes we need to silence everything and he like he likes to say listen to the space between the raindrops <laughs> you know like, what's wow, he what's he mean that. by that like why is that well, so what's mean by that is that we have to shut down that voice in our head that's going clack, 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 and just and and really embrace the silence because the silence i believe is your true spiritual self i'm not a religious person i know everybody says this right but i'm not a religious person but i'm a spiritual person and I do believe we have a soul. I do believe that there's an afterlife. Mm-hmm. And call me crazy. I don't care. But, you know, that when we are able to shut that noisy cacophony that's going on in our head, that's sometimes when true wisdom is found. Well, I feel like, you know, you're, you're calling it spiritual, but I think it just comes down to core values. And what is it well, that matters to you? And if you're quiet and you right. just listen to what matters to you, you'll make those decisions that will steer you in the direction that's important to you. Yeah, and I do. I do believe in the old thing that there's only two two emotions, love and fear, and mm-hmm. and I think too many of us are driven by fear. And mm-hmm. you know the the whole care. You know, you've heard me say that you need staff that are caring, kind, and fun loving. I really believe that. You just need good people, man. You know, you meet somebody. My girlfriend and I call it that he has the light. We'll meet someone and go, "Yep, he's got the light." <laughs> you know, it's like you. You're very positive and outgoing, fun and. You know, you want to surround yourself with those people. If you surround yourself with those kind of people, man, I think you can do anything. Awesome advice. Great stuff. And thank you for the compliment. So let's just talk right now about technology. And we already kind of talked about the significance of systems and processes, procedures. The way I look at technology is is basically you're taking these systems that have already been created and you're plugging them into your restaurant. So what are some systems, like some technologies that you're really excited about that you're, you know, recommending to your clients, the people you're working with that you think are just something to really consider to make our restaurants a little better? Honestly, I think, I think one of the coolest ones, you know, I come from an era where you had to write a guest check. You had to take an order and write it on a check with triplicate form, give one to the expediter, one to the kitchen, and one for the guest. Um, and then you went to slip printers. Now, I know this, I'm really dating myself, but when I buy a slip printer, is you're on your POS, your point of sale system, you ring an order in, and it prints out a ticket in the kitchen, which might be, you know, 50 feet away. I mean, when that first came out, dude, I was blown away. Well, now in like manner, wireless handhelds that servers carry, 
I think is a really cool technology because the, you know, the number one, you know, I told you the number one key service attitude in my world is, is learn to receive instruction. The number one basic service rule, which is the mechanics of service is make your trips count Mm. because a trip is a unit of time. And if you want to be an efficient server, you have to lower the number of trips you make. Well, with a handheld, dude, you're taking the order at the table and it's showing up on a screen immediately in the kitchen. I love that technology. So are there any services that you've seen work that you recommend to send our listeners in the right direction to learn more? Yeah, on that on that particular one, I know Micros makes a system. I believe Aloha does. A lot of them. But really, you don't even need to buy the $10,000 uh uh, POS systems now, those things are becoming like dinosaurs mm-hmm. because with Square and with iPads, I take Square, I use Square and my consulting business. I mean, the fact that here I am, a little guy, I don't have any employees, I plug this deal into my iPhone and I take credit card payments. I mean, that's so cool. Mm-hmm. And it goes right into my bank account in less than 24 hours. It used to be, I mean, I remember the days when you had to wait for a check to be mailed from American Express when I first started. I mean, that's crazy. It could take, yeah, let's say you did $5,000 in American Express business over the weekend. It might be a week later when you got a check in the mail. That's how it was done. People can't believe that now, but, but even after that, it was still three days. Now a square man, you don't need these huge POS systems. You can build your own menu systems with an iPad. And there's more and more the, uh, I don't know if you've been to the NRA ever, the National Restaurant Two Association. Two years ago, I went. Yeah. Well, it's, it's the huge trade show in Chicago, and I would urge any of your listeners to go at least once because there's probably 10. It's overwhelming. <laughs> yeah, it is <laughs> it's overwhelming. Ridiculous. But there's all these companies that sell these iPad-based uh, restaurants. There's, there's a ton of them out there, and I really kind of cringe sometimes when I think about it because it's like they're so <laughs> – they're all good. I mean, really, at the end of the day, they're yep. like cars. Like most the, – the, the market's so competitive, and the technology has gotten so good that – it's really hard to find, you know, differences between the two that will, you know, steer you in one direction or the other. I mean, that's how I feel when I look at all. Well, I, I couldn't agree more. Here's one thing to keep in mind. Be realistic about how much of the functionality you're going to use. Let's take, take Excel, mm-hmm. Microsoft Excel. How much of the functionality of Excel do you think you use? I guarantee you I use no more than 5%. There's 95% of Excel. I, I don't know how to write a macro. <laughs> that You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a powerful tool, but well, I don't really need Excel. I could use something that's probably you know a lot easier. It's the same thing with POS systems. Mm-hmm. You're not going to sit in your office looking at reports all day either. You don't want to do that. So look for functionality, something that's simple, good reliability. Talk to somebody that's using the system and get their feedback. I think that's huge. Yeah. And I've already, like, we're already over time and I'm okay with that because I just want to pull more knowledge out of you because you're just, oh, with you. It. Um, you put a lot of emphasis in numbers in your, mm-hmm. your book, your ebook that we're yep. going to talk about at the end. Um, why is that I mean, or what tools are you using to really get the most out of these numbers and to, to, you know, listen to these numbers? Is there anything that you'd recommend for that? Well, I just, all I would say is be aware of the numbers. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, first thing that I would say to restaurateurs is you, you've got to, you've got to lock into your daily sales and your customer accounts. Customer accounts for me were always huge and you've got to track them and then you've got to look at year-to-year data. I'm telling it is amazing. Like, let's say the first Tuesday in March, 
in 2015, I did 89 customers for dinner. When I go in, in 2015 and 2016, I know that I'm going to do around that same. And you would not believe how many times it's to the person that I would do the same amount on that first Tuesday in March. So those can be very valuable forecasting and scheduling tools. I think we have a tendency to get too wrapped up in the numbers. Um, you do need to be aware of your sales, your customer counts. You need to do some forecasting uh, for your scheduling uh, you do need to know where your food cost. I'm doing, I have a client right now that's never run a pouring cost or a food cost. Yeah, I mean, there's the, the good news is there are tools that are out there. Yeah, you know? and like we're talking about the POS systems, and they have made it so much easier. These numbers, like like you said, you don't want to get lost. You don't want to waste nope. time doing it. But with these tools, like they literally spit these graphs right at you today. They're right. Yep. One that I love that I I'm sure you probably heard of, previously known as Swipely, now known as Upserve. Awesome yep. company to to learn more about the significance of numbers and what numbers can tell you. Um, so love those. And I got to say, you're probably way more into the current, cause I haven't owned a restaurant in since 08. Okay. So, you know, it's been eight years. Yeah, and the industry is changing. Like, it's, it's changed. It's, it's crazy. It's intimidating. And I, that's why I started this podcast, so we could try to figure out what's going on out there and talk. But uh, awesome stuff. So with all the knowledge you have now, if you could just go back in time and give your, you know, the past version of yourself, you're 26 years old, you're starting your first restaurant, what piece of business advice would you give yourself? Wow. That's that's a really good question. Probably what I would probably say because looking at, you know, my failures that I probably did try to grow too much mm-hmm. outside of one unit. You know, I could have stayed at Clary's and really focused on other avenues of income, for instance, uh, cooking classes, which I did quite a bit and had a good sales stream, banquets, offsite catering. You know, catering was a huge, uh, and, and it can be for any restaurant that's just not doing any outside catering. If you're looking for ways to increase your revenue, do more catering. You know, the first thing I would say, though, is focus on. Uh, you know, back to my book, server sales training, increase your check average. Mm -hmm. But what I would say for myself is I don't think I needed to do that third restaurant. I probably could have created that income within my existing two restaurants. So instead of like, just to summarize, instead of focusing on uh, spreading your reach or growing laterally, focus on impact and doing more with what you have to be the best. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Focus on, you know, if you've got one restaurant, really laser focus on that restaurant. Are you getting every penny out of your product that you can? Are you getting every bit of productivity from your weight staff and sales from mm-hmm. your weight staff? Mm-hmm. Awesome stuff. So if there is one question I could have asked you that you think would have brought more value to this interview, James, what would it have been? Uh... You know, you asked about favorite books, maybe uh, about who your favorite person is in the the, the business. Who, you know, who you look is up your favorite person in the Thomas business? Keller. Thomas Keller. Awesome. And I'll why. tell you why. Yeah. It's not about his food at all. If you ever get the chance, maybe you've eaten there. Have you ever eaten at the French Laundry or uh, Per Se? I have not. The budget does not uh, allow I that quite you. yet. <laughs> but I was able to eat at the French Laundry. And yes, I was blown away by the food. It, it exceeded every expectation I had. We did an 18-course tasting menu <clears throat> with wine pairings. What blew me away <clears throat> excuse me, was the hospitali- hospitality 
attitude. The manager greeted us at the door like we were his long-lost cousins who he loved dearly and hadn't seen in 10 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was almost emotional, dude. Like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, we're so glad. And then I went to another restaurant. I can say it now because he's passed away, Charlie Trotter's in Chicago, mm-hmm. for a comparative the guys at Trotters had their nose up in the air and like, mm, hello, here you. <laughs> and you know, when you're paying three, four hundred bucks a person, mm-hmm. I can't stand that. Mm. And you know, Keller, Keller's staff are so open, warm. You could be the most ignorant diner, never eaten outside of McDonald's and go into the French liner and they'd make you feel warm and welcome. And that, that's what I love about Keller. He's humble. Yeah, I had Anthony Rudolph on the show not too long ago, and he was the director of operations for the Thomas Keller group. And you can just sense that from him as well. Everybody that Thomas Keller had working with him were, were just awesome people. And you can see. Yep. And now that's a great interview, by the way. Uh, Anthony Rudolph, which is like only oh, four I got episodes. Yeah. Uh, Great guy, great episode. Yeah, and uh, Thomas Keller, what he's done is, you know, nobody can shake a stick at it, that's for sure. No, um, <laughs> so uh, thank you so much. Uh, we're going to wrap it up now. We wrap up every episode by uh, having you call somebody out. So who is kind of based, I don't know, maybe you'll call out Thomas Keller. Who knows? Uh, who's one indie restaurant professional you admire and think would be a great guest on the show? Well, I think it'd be Keller. <laughs> I'd be Keller. I also like Ramsey. Oh. You know, I, I do like Ramsey. Uh, another guy who I think is really interesting. I know you said one, but, uh, Mark Miller who owned the coyote cafe. And uh, I think he'd be really cool. Ramsey's cool because I think Ramsey has a heart. I really do. And you know, I think it'd be cool if you got him on and kind of peeled back the layers a little bit of this, this gruff, you know, restaurant hell. I think he's a really loving person. Now I could be crazy, but we'll, well see. I'll do my work. It's not gonna get. It's not gonna be easy to get Thomas Keller <laughs> no. or uh, Chef Ramsey on the show. It's but, gonna uh, be a lot easier getting Chef Clary than <laughs> Chef. Ramsey. I guarantee you that, brother. Uh, well, we'll do our best. Maybe someday they're definitely on my my hit list. That's for sure. Awesome. Uh, well, let's just let the listeners at home know how we can connect with you. Uh, maybe some yeah. resources you want to share. Tell them about your book uh, and why you know the you know the perfect avatar for somebody who might be looking for your book. Like, what's your yeah? Book and maybe we can for? put a, a link to it on your page. Absolutely. But it's it's if you do a Google search for server sales training, Amazon, you'll find the book on Amazon. I think it's like three four bucks. I mean, it's not expensive and it's a it's, quick read. It's, it's three ninety nine. I just bought it today. There you go. The but it is cool. worth it's it. a good resource if you want to make more money in your restaurant without, you know, everyone thinks of advertising that, that this is a way to do it without spending any money, mm-hmm. just time. So, you know, that's, that's it. You want to make more money? Here's a way to do it. You know, yeah. for four bucks, I'm going to teach you how to do that. And it's an area that honestly, I don't know why, but a lot of restaurateurs don't focus on sales. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's a real easy read. Like I said, I only got about 30 way through it, 30% of the way through it before we started mm-hmm. today's interview. Uh, you better believe that tonight I will finish it. Uh, it, it. You will get through it quickly. It's well written. It's, it's straightforward and you get tons of knowledge bombs just for that small investment of three ninety nine. It's totally worth it. I will Thank be you. looking at that in the show notes. Notes. And, uh, and uh, restaurant. The website is the uh, therestaurantguru.net. I should have. I hope to have it running by uh, this the end of this week. You can reach me at james at therestaurantguru.net. 
All right. I'll have all those links in the show notes as well as the, the books that were mentioned today and a recap of today's conversations. Just head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 200. This is episode 200. Oh, sorry, 220. Correction, episode 220. So restaurantunstoppable.com slash 220. You'll find all the links right there. Chef James Cleary, again, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to come join us to you know help us grow personally. There's no questioning. You are unstoppable. Well, thanks, Eric. I really appreciate it, man. (laughs) Thank you. Cheers. Well, there we go. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Chef James Cleary was an awesome guest, uh, just filled with so much energy. I felt like I was competing for the energy level today. And uh, that's that's saying something. But Chef James Cleary, just awesome guest, tons of great advice. And I just love his advice. Uh, the, the, the advice that really stuck out to me was do it for other reasons other than the money. You know, he, he got into this industry not because he wanted to make a ton of money, because he loves what he does. He loves making people happy. And he's just that natural born people pleaser. And uh, I mean, what do you love? What is your why? Figure that out. And then chase that and make that your reason for being in this industry. And remind yourself every day that's what you're doing. If you do those things and you chase the, the, the right reasons to be in this industry, the money will come. But you can't be chasing money. You can't make decisions based off money because if it doesn't happen, there's just too much time, sweat, and blood that goes into this work to – to be chasing money. You have to love what you do and you won't work a day in your life. Um, so with that said, uh, a few things I want to say, I mentioned before I wrap up today. Uh, I'm really interested in starting a mastermind group. What is a mastermind group? It's basically just a group of guys and gals getting together, sharing their interests, sharing what they have planned uh, and collaborating and sharing knowledge and research and helping each other out, keeping people accountable for what they're trying to do, helping each other make those goals and then just tapping into the ether together. I mean, Five minds is better than one. Imagine the power of just five times whatever you have, that mental capacity you have. And then you can tap into just the creativity of these other people all work together to open a restaurant. So basically, that's what I want to do is create this mastermind group and help uh, connect you guys so you can you know not do it alone. Uh, and really lean on your community, the, the Restaurant Unstoppable community. So if you're interested in something like that, I'm looking uh, to start a mastermind group of like five or six people uh, just to, you know, a support group to you – know, I already explained it. <laughs> I don't need to explain it again. But if that's something you're interested in, uh, shoot me an email, eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. I'll give you the details on how to get signed up for that. And then also, how can I help you? Uh, what can I do on this podcast? Who can I interview? What topics can I cover? to help you. What are you struggling with? Uh, tell me, shoot me an email again, Eric at restaurantstoppable.com. That's Eric with a C. And, uh, let's, let's try to make the most of this podcast for you. Uh, don't be shy. I love connecting with you guys. And then also like always, please use my links in the show notes. Uh, or just reach out to me if there's a product or service that you heard on the show that you'd like to learn more about. I'll connect you with the right people. And maybe if they're uh, one of those companies that have an affiliate program, they'll kick me a little something to uh, thank me for referring them business. And that way we can keep this show free to you. That is really important to me is to make sure the show remains free and to uh, help people. But you know, everything I do takes a lot of time and all the help I can get 
really, you know, just goes a long way. So thank you in advance for reaching out to me and using my links. Uh, and then lastly, don't forget to head over to restaurantunstoppable.com uh, slash tools and restaurantunstoppable.com slash books for a complete list of all the tools and books our guest mentors have recommended on the show. It's all there. I've collected it all, and I put it in one spot for you to find. That's one of the ways I'm here trying to make your life easier. So, again, uh, just head over to those links. Use or you know those resources, those, those tools. Uh, use my links and uh, reach out to me and tell me how I can best serve you. All right, guys, that's all I have for today. Until next time, peace out.